Welcome, Northwest Community Church. My name is Matt. It's fantastic seeing you here this, this uh, morning. Lots of football weather, and we like it, right? Yes. Listen, I want you to grab your Bibles. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in the middle part of that. We'll finish it next week in, in terms of Colossians chapter 3. A couple things uh, that uh, I, I have told you about, and uh, I have said last week, I began my message by reminding you and talking to you that one day I am going to get my Cary Fire Department chaplain uniform, okay? And I need you to know something, that this week I was fitted for my Cary Fire Department uniform. I got sized up and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And, um, and so when we do different things, we get to go and uh, uh, I get to dress up and I'm one of the guys, okay? I'm one of the brotherhood right there. And as we've been taking a look at Colossians chapter 3, he comes to the section and he says, I want you to live like what you believe. I want you to live like Jesus is supreme in your life. And part of doing that, he told us last week, I want you to take this off because that is not of the new creation that you are now in Christ. That's not who you are anymore. I want you to take that off and I want you to put this on and that's what we're going to talk about this week. Couple of things that I've noticed when I got that uniform and being around the firemen of the Cary Fire Department. Listen, when you put that uniform on or it re- what it represents, number one, they know who they are. They know they have each other's back, they know what's accepted and they know what's not accepted. They're there to, to support each other, to defend each other. Several times in the history of being a chaplain since 2012, I've seen people get sick or have cancer or whatever the case might be, and they work for them so they don't have to take vacation time so they can be a support to their family and not go without. They hold each other up. And so what he's saying is in our text this morning is he's saying, hey, I want you to put this on because you are a new creation and I want you to live like it. I want you to live just like that. And so some of us would sit here and say, okay, I'm a new creation, but then why do I struggle with this over here that I struggled with before I was saved? And I would say this, that the Bible does not teach a spiritual schizophrenia, whereby we have both the old nature and the new nature, and they're there at the same time. Let me make sure that we understand 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The problem is, is that we take the new and we put it into the old body. And we take the new and we put it into the the old mind and we have to reshape our mind. And so that's why it's constantly told to us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to understand all that God is, all that God is. And so he wants us to feed that new self. He wants us to understand it. He wants us to come to Christ and feed that part that has been delivered and transferred and redeemed that we've been talking about for such a long time. And so really when we come to chapter three, the the beauty of all of this, the beauty of all of this is we recognize that yes, we have a new nature. That person was dead and now we are alive. But there is a little bit of a struggle and an angst on this side of heaven. And we have to recognize that. And we have to put that to death and we have to feed again what is of Christ. And so when we come to chapter three, it's broken down in a beautiful way 
broken down into really three, three things that I want to share, with those, share those with you. We have attitudes, we have actions, and we have exhortations. Chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, is broken down into th- those three things. First, we have attitudes. When he comes to us, he says, hey, listen, I want you to have this attitude. He gives us five of them. I want this attitude to be in you. I want you to put this on. Then he says, I want you to have these actions. This is what I want you to do. And then he goes and he says, I want you to have these exhortations. And we'll get to those in a minute. Let the peace of God rule. Dwell in in the word richly. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. And it says, whatever you do, do it all for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those are exhortations. Now listen, I, several years ago, was teaching eighth graders in a disciple now weekend and we were going through spiritual gifts like administration and evangelism and you know all of the spiritual gifts based on in in corinthians and one of the kids says "Uh, pastor matt he said i have the spiritual gift of extortion what does that mean and i was like well buddy that it's not extortion it's exhortation that means you encourage people you don't steal money from them ah i do that and i don't do that (laughs) All right, that's good. You're an encourager. That's what that means. Yeah, I can see that. So we have attitudes, we have actions, and we have exhortations. And so this is what he's saying right now. Listen, this is what he's saying. I want this to be a mark of your life. I want this to be a demonstration of your life. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, it should be seen boldly. It should not be hidden. So I want them to see it. Before we get into the text, I want to make sure that we know our big idea One thing I want you to remember more than anything in the world today, the one point that I want you to remember is this. What overflows in our lives, both as individuals and as a community, reflects what we worship. I'll say it again. What overflows in our lives, both as individuals and as a community of believers, reflects what we worship. Plain and simple, we either worship ourselves or we worship King Jesus. And the overflow, what comes out of us, what comes out of us, how we are clothed, what we look like, that right now is a determining factor of who and what we are worshiping. And so as we take a look at this instruction, this command to what to put on, I pray that we walk away from here encouraged, challenged, and emboldened about living life for Jesus. And so, because he is supreme. So, Colossians 3, 12 through 17, let's begin in verse 12. This is what he says. Put on then, he takes a break, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Right off the bat right now, he is saying, Paul is saying, you are a believer. And this may be new to you, so what I'm telling you right now is as a believer, this is what I want you to look like. This is what I want you to be about. This is who you are. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. Just like the command was, hey, put these things to death. Take this off. That's what he said last week. This week he's saying, okay, put on. Why do we put that on? Because it basically basically says that. You are God's chosen ones. Now we can look in the scripture and we can get wrapped up in election and predestination. Here's the way that I look at it right now. They've been fighting about this issue for a long time. And all I can say this. Is it when it says that you are chosen before the foundation of the world, like Ephesians chapter one, and it says as God's chosen ones, then that's what we teach. And when it says choose this day whom you may serve, that's what we teach. And we leave the rest to the sovereign hand of God. 
But he looks at us right now as you are chosen before the foundation of the world. You are God's chosen one. You are holy. That means set apart. You are beloved. So as that person, as that one right there who's been chosen by God, who is holy and beloved, this is what I want you to be about. And he comes in with these attitudes and we'll go and we'll get into those. He first starts off by saying, hey, here's what I want you to have. Compassionate hearts. He starts with compassion. It's the characteristic. It's the glasses by which we see everything in as a believer. Compassionate hearts. Because as chosen, holy, and beloved, we're declaring that we are recipients of God's compassion towards us. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when Jesus came and he took a look at all the things that were going on, he saw sheep that were without a shepherd, and it says he was moved with compassion because they had no shepherd. That's Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. The word, the word compassion and moved really means that Jesus was absolutely, he was overwhelmed from emotion that was in his gut, almost to the point where it was he would throw up. It overwhelmed him to see them that they didn't have somebody to lead them. What Paul is saying here to us, he's saying for the, for the Christian, compassion is not some trained cognitive response. Really, it is that we are moved emotionally by the king of the universe to see people, to have empathy towards them, to love them, to care for them, and to show Christ-like grace to them. And that's what he is saying, that's what I want you to do. It is a reflection of God himself because the same word, compassion, was rooted and rooted in God himself because it says that God is the father of compassion in the scriptures. So when it says, I want you to have compassionate hearts, he's saying, hey, I just want you to imitate your father. That's what I want you to do. I want you to imitate him. That's what we as Christians are here to do, to live in Christ's likeness. Then he comes in as another attitude, compassionate hearts. He comes down, he says four more. Kindness, humility, meekness, gentleness, and patience. And I love the way the writer Trevor uh, Joy put this, and I'm gonna help, uh, help us take a look at this right now. Kindness, kindness is a Christ-like attitude. What is a Christ-like attitude? Philippians 2, 1 through 11, that is a Christ-like attitude. Remember what was just read by Emily just a few minutes ago. The Christ-like attitude that we are talking about is have this mind in you, which was also yours in Christ Jesus. He esteemed others better than himself. That is a Christ-like attitude that you and I are supposed to adopt. Kindness, kindness is basically a Christ-like attitude towards other people. Kindness is a Christ-like attitude towards other people. Then he comes down and he says humility. Humility is a Christ-like attitude towards yourself. So you see the difference here. Kindness, a Christ-like attitude towards other people, full of grace and mercy, and boldness and truth and love. And then humility is a Christ-like attitude towards oneself. Then he goes on even further and he says, meekness, maybe your Bible might say gentleness. So when we take this, this, these, this kindness and this humility, the kindness and the humility, when that is put together, it affects the way that we approach other people and that's meekness. So we have this kindness and we have this humility, this Christ-like attitude towards others, Christ-like attitude towards other people, then it affects on how we approach other people. It affects how we approach other people. And then we have patience, and that's kindness and humility in our response to other people. Listen to me. No greater characteristic we must fight for than our 
patience in our home and beyond. It's a Christ-like attitude of kindness and humility in our response to other people. That is patience. And so here we are. We're unpacking it right now. And we come down and he says, how do we, how do we live this? How do, we, how do we learn this? How do we see this? What, what do I want you to do? And I want these attitudes that we've just talked about. I want them, I want you to put those on. I want them to be a demonstration of your life. I want them to be visible to the people. I want you to really dedicate yourself to this. Here are those attitudes, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. He shifts gears and goes from attitudes to actions. Here's what I want you to do. Because of all of these attitudes that you have, these attitudes will reflect itself in actions by what we do. And he breaks it down and he comes in verse 13. Look at verse 13 and we look at it and it says, bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. So he breaks it down in verse 13 and he comes up with two actions that are critical for a life of a believer that he wants us to put it on. He says, if you're a disciple and you're gonna make disciples, if you're passionately guiding generations through gospel transformation one home at a time, here's what I want you to be about. I want you to bear with one another and I want you to forgive each other. That's Christ forgive you. Let's break them apart first. Bearing with one another means to endure, to hold up, to support, to buttress, to have something lean against you and to restrain. And the context of this is written is that it is not a short-term commitment to those that we are in doing life with. As a community of faith, as a community of faith, what overflows in my life and what overflows in your life should be an ability, a desire, a discipline to bear with one another whatever you might be going through. And here's the issue right now. Sometimes what happens when we come and we do life together we have stuff that's an internal, that's in us. We came with it. For instance, maybe you had a dad that was not a good influence in your life. And then when we talk about God, who is your heavenly father, you're very resistant to really giving him everything and following him with everything you've got. But when we are in life together, we are bearing that with you, with what comes, what comes to the life group or comes to the smaller setting. Because listen, that affects the way that you live it affects the way that you understand the gospel. And what we're saying here as a follower, as a disciple, what we're saying is, hey, whatever baggage that you have that you're bringing to the table, we're here and we're gonna bear it with you. Whatever is internal in you, we're gonna help fight with you and fight for you to believe who he is, to believe what he said he would do, and to not allow this situation or whatever it might have been to define who you are or have you look at it and redefine the gospel because it's not good for you. And so then he says, hey, I want you to also bear it, whatever is coming with you in terms of from the inside. What he's also talking about is, hey, what's coming from the outside? There's also the stuff that we bear on the outside, like tragedies and sickness and parenting and marriage and singleness, relationship strife, and many other things that happen because of living on this side of heaven. All of us are sitting here going, hey, we're living life and things are going good. And then all of a sudden, things can take a really hard left turn. And you're like, how in the world am I going to do this? He's saying, as a believer in King Jesus, as a follower, as a disciple, here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to have these attitudes, but I want you to have these actions. And when you come and do life with each other, there are certain things that people bring with them, but there are certain things that, certain things that happen when you're doing life together. And what we do is we sit there and say, I'm not leaving you. I'm holding your hands up. I'm holding your hands up. But not only that, it holds us up, but it also restrains us. It restrains us as well. Because there are certain things that we might come into a situation where we might, we might attempt to do. Let me give you an example of that this week. A couple of months ago, I talked to you about my fireman uniform. And I told you, one day I'm going to preach in my fireman uniform. And I got to this week and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm trying on my fireman uniform. Why don't I just preach in it? And I got to the point and I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's really the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm not doing that. And I called my buddy, AJ, and I said, listen to me, I need to ask you a question. I said one time that I was going to preach in my fireman uniform. And I think that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It is, right? And he said, don't do that. So we landed on taking a picture. And so here's what I'm talking about. When you do life with each other, what do we do? We hold you up when you can't even stand up. And we, we restrain you when you're going off, off kilter right now. You get the point. I want us to fight right now for Ming and Michelle. Ming's father was going to come here to celebrate his 50th anniversary. Ming and Michelle go to our church. They're not here with us today. Ming and Michelle go to our church and Ming's father and mother live in Florida. They were going to fly up here for a 50th anniversary party and he took a fall in an airport in Florida and hit his head and he actually passed away this Thursday. Absolute tragic. I don't even know, I don't even begin to know and even understand but when the scripture looks at it, and I'm going through it this week, and I'm, 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 I'm crying over this point right here where I'm looking at it, and I'm going, Ming and Michelle, how in the world, what do we do for them? When they're, when they're tired, we hold their arms up. We restrain them. We hold them. We pray for them. And, then, and again, I, I look at, at the newsletter of the Hutchersons, and I see the Hutchersons, and I see that all that's going on in Lebanon, and the kids are out of school for two weeks, and there's rioting and there's protesting and there's all kinds of stuff going on. The Hutchersons, Nicolette and Caleb Hutcherson, they're three kids. They're on our global staff and they're serving King Jesus in Lebanon. And, and I look at their, look what's going on there and I'm going, what do we do? We bear with one another and we hold them up. So what I want to do right here in the middle, I just want to ask King Jesus to do that. I want us to pray for them right now. Ming and Michelle, and I want us to pray for Caleb and Nicolette. Join me as we, as we just stop right now and just pray for them. King Jesus, I love you. I thank you for what you have defined for us over what we should put on and what we should take off. I thank you for the attitudes that you have given us and, and allowed us to see, to have compassionate hearts, to be kind and humble, to be meek and patient. But we come to you right now and we beg you and we plead with you to hold up the, the Lee family. We pray, we pray for Ming. Lord, I know his heart is heavy and overwhelmed and burdened. And I ask you, God, with your righteous right hand, would you hold him up and would you use us to do just that? I pray for Michelle to be there to encourage her husband. I pray for Mai and Michael. I pray for Ming's mother in Florida. God, would you be their ever-present help in time of need and would you define for us how we might be able to love them and encourage them and hold them up? We know that you are sufficient. We know that you are good. And yes, Things like this cause us to ask questions. Pray, God, that we would see you, we would glorify you, we would pray for them, and we'd hold them up. And Lord, we pray for Caleb and Nicolette. 
We thank you, God, for their ministry that they are doing in Beirut. We ask you in the name of Jesus to protect them and watch over them. There's a lot of political stuff that's going on over there, Lord, and I know that they have dedicated themselves to go over to that place to tell people about you, and I pray that you would continue to help them to do that. Help them to navigate the rough waters with their kids. Help them to explain things. At the end of the day, may your spirit lead them. May they understand and may they know that we love them and that we are here for them and that we are fighting with them and praying for them. So again, God in heaven, thank you for defining for us what it looks like to be a true follower of you. Help us to do that. May our lives be an overflow of who and what we worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue on to read this quote for you right now. We support one another in suffering and we seek to restrain one another in struggle. The Christian community has a regular diet of suffering and celebration and we pull up to the table to both. Why? Because the ethic of the kingdom of, is grace, not reciprocity. It's not about what I can get, it's about what I can give. That's what it means to bear with one another. Then he goes on right down here and he says, the next thing that I want you to live is I want you to forgive. And why do we forgive? He said, well, if you've forgotten something, I want you to know something that you're qualified, you're delivered, you're transferred, and you're redeemed. And you did not do that. King Jesus did that. And so what I want you to do is I want you to exercise forgiveness that has been exercised to you. You were shown compassion, so I want you to have a compassionate heart. You were shown kindness and you were shown humility. You were shown meekness and you were shown grace. So here's what I would like for you to do. I want you to bear with one another and I want you to forgive one another because that is a mark of a follower of God. That is a mark of a disciple. Peter in Matthew chapter 23 looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, so how many times should I forgive? I know the Jewish law is to forgive three times. So Peter looks at him and says, you know, I'll just see his three and raise him one. I think he thought he's in a poker game and says, Jesus, we should forgive seven times. Maybe quite proud or a little pompous. And Jesus responds and says, no, Peter, you should forgive 70 times seven. What he means is you forgive and you keep forgiving. And it's not when they ask for it. It's your choice to forgive. And that's what he's saying to us right now. You forgive because your God in heaven, he forgave you. So we do that and we do that continually. Let's go on to 14. Verse 14 says this. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So we come to 14 and we're saying, okay, what? What takes place? Here's another action that we're supposed to be doing. So we'd say, hey, we're going to bear with one another. We're going to bear with one another. We're going to forgive each other. And then we come and we say, we're going to love. Put on love. It binds all of this together. So let's just say this. If we're getting dressed with all that he's saying that we're to get dressed with, all of the attitudes and all of the actions, he's basically saying that the love that he is talking about, the love of God, the love that we are to have, that agape love, that love that we hear in John 3, 16, the love that we hear in, in Romans 5, 8, where Christ demonstrated his love, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. John 3, 16, for God so loved that type of love, that unconditional love. What I want you to know something is the love that, is, that we're talking about, that is the belt that you wear because it holds everything together. So as you put on and as you clothe yourself, you take this off, you put this on. Love is the belt 
that keeps all of these things together, the love of Christ. The Bible says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And so we have to understand that just like forgiveness, love is a choice. It has feelings and there is emotion that is involved, but it is purely, it is very simply seen, it's a command and it is a choice. You know that sometimes we get to the place, I've been to the situation where people will say, well, I just don't love her anymore. I just don't love him anymore. I've fallen out of love. That is a very dangerous, dangerous place to be when we understand that love simply is a choice. We choose to love our kids. We choose to love our spouses. And we choose to love our church family and do life together. This kind of love is agape love and it, it brings it all together. And then what's the result of it? Go back to 14. What's the result? And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in what? Perfect harmony. So from a believing standpoint, we're on the same page. We're going in the same direction. We know what's expected of us. When we put this on, just like I said about the fireman, when you put that uniform on, you know what's expected of you. You know what is right and you know what is wrong. And when you do that, what happens is there is a level of harmony that exists among the body and among us as individuals. One of the things that I believe that that one of the things that we need to be most unified in is what are we going to do as a church family with our land? How does the Lord, how does King Jesus help us as a church family move in a direction where we are unified on what we do with our land? Right now, we've, dis- we've said several occasions that we are asking God and we are praying to God, what is our next step? Lord, we don't want to get in front of you. We recognize that that land is paid for. Did you hear me? That land's paid for because of your sacrifice and your gifts to that. And we recognize that the land is simply a tool. It does not define us. But it is a resource that God has given us and we want to be able to understand how can we use it and be unified to bring glory and fame to your name in Northwest Cary and beyond. How how do we do that? Well, on December the 1st, what we're going to do is we're not going to meet in here. That's Sunday, December the 1st. We are not going to meet in this location. We're going to meet on the land. Someone's like, well, what about parking? I've been up to youth group and that parking is a nightmare. Listen, trust us. We're going to work all those things out. We're going to eat pizza. We're going to have an opportunity where we are going to encounter God through prayer. And we're going to ask God, God, lead us and unify us on what we should do with our land. So on December the 1st at 1030 at the church property, be there. It's the Sunday after Thanksgiving. It is going to be incredible. We're just going to gather and we're just going to pray. We've got some songs planned. We've got some times to gather together to fellowship. And I can't wait to be able to do that, to be able to come onto the land, to be able to be in unity and in harmony because of our love for King Jesus. And let's gather on that on December the 1st. Okay, then he goes to the extortions. I'm just kidding, the exhortations. You got the, the exhortations. He comes in verse 15 and he says, okay, here's what I want to remind you of. Here's what I want to encourage you in. And he comes to verse 15 and it says this, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Real short sentence right there. He comes to us and he says, peace, it is a rest and a security because of all that you are and all that you know. He is supreme. He is superior to all things. He is enough. You're qualified. You're delivered. You're transferred. You're redeemed. So rest in this great truth and don't get over it and don't get past it. Stay there. Don't leave. 
And then he says this, just like you say to your kids when they leave the house, don't forget to say thank you. (laughs) That's what Paul says through the inspiration of the Lord about when he says about the peace. Okay, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Then he has that little sentence there at the end, and be thankful. And my kids come home all the time, and I even go, did you? And they said, I did. I told them twice, Dad. Good work. Be thankful. He's saying, hey, listen, I am at peace with who you are. I have confidence in what you did. is something that I couldn't do. I want to thank you for that. I love you for that. And what I want to do is I just want to come and to have an attitude of being thankful. And he exhorts us to do that often and not forget that. Then he goes on to verse 16, the next exhortation. He comes and he says, hey, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. So he doesn't say let the word of God. He says let the word of Christ. There is a big difference between the word of God and the word of Christ. The word of Christ really truly means that I want the gospel message to take resident and root in your life, and I don't want you to get past that. If you look at the context, it makes sense when you look at the context of what they were up against. The message of the gospel was being polluted and diluted, and it was being changed. And so he comes and he says, let the words of Christ dwell in your heart richly. A lot of times, this verse has been used to say, hey, let God's word, the whole word, dwell in our hearts richly. I don't believe that that's a misapplication at all. But what he is screaming to us right now is he's saying the message of Christ, the word of the gospel, let it dwell in you richly. What does it mean richly? It's in abundance. It's in abundance. The message of the gospel needs to be central to the Christ-like community. And so here's here's what's taking place. I can't wait for Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock in the morning. Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock, we're having our men's ministry kickoff. And some of you are going to be supporting your spouse to go there. And some of you are being invited right now to be there. But Tuesday morning at Cary Park Clubhouse, we're having our men's ministry kickoff. We have over 40 men that are coming. Over 11 small groups, I believe, that are being divided up in smaller groups to do one thing, and that's study God's word. We're going to be in the Psalms between now and Christmas. We're going to be able to gather in small groups all over the city. Some Some before work, some at lunchtime, and some after work. And this coming Tuesday, you're invited whether or not you have made reservations yet or not. We would love for you to come on Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock to be able to jump in and learn what does it mean to allow the Word of God to shape and transform our lives. That's what we're going to do on Tuesday at 6. Verse 17, the last exhortation. Here's where it comes. The last thing that he says right here, he says, and whatever you do. It's a big summary right now. He's coming in. He's like, okay, I've told you about the attitudes. I've told you about the actions. Now I'm telling you, I want to exhort you. Let the peace of God rule in you. Be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. The word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then we come to 17. He says, all right, if I didn't name it, I'm just coming to and I'm just being general here. And whatever you do, you name it. You make a list of it. Whatever you do, in word or in deed. So we have what we say with our mouth and what we live with our lives. And he's basically saying, I don't want them to be a contradiction. When you put this on, what you're saying is, I don't want my words and I don't want my life to be a contradiction. He said, so whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the simply way he can say it. Let everything you do honor Christ. He is sufficient. He is supreme. 
Let your life demonstrate that. So put that on. So if you're a stay-at-home mom, do it with every passion that you have in you for the glory of God. If you are in the workforce, whatever you do, a teacher, an advisor, a counselor, a doctor, medical professional, an administrator, do it all for the glory of God. Everything you do, everything you say. What an incredible, incredible encouragement for him to say just those things. If you are a student, I want you to do it for the glory of God. In all decisions, we are to ask, does this bring honor to Christ? He is basically saying to us in this last verse, do not hide your allegiance to me. What you say and what you do, let it be known to the world that I have placed you in, that you are a disciple of the Most High God. That's who you are. You are qualified. You are delivered. You are transferred. You are redeemed. So have a compassionate heart. Have kindness and humility and meekness and gentleness. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Love one another. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. And then every single thing you do, do it for him. Here's our big idea. What overflows in our lives, both as individuals and as a community, reflects what we worship. What overflows in our lives, both as an individual and as community, reflects what we worship. There is no one like him. Let's put on Jesus for the benefit of ourselves, for the benefit of our family, and for the benefit of our community. May they see us say it. May they see us live it for the glory of his great name. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, I love you and I thank you for who you are. Lord, may you be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. Lord, I praise you. Praise you for what we have learned this morning and pray that you would use it for um, our good and your glory. As we sing these next couple of songs, God, may we declare again that you are sufficient and that there is no one like you. We continue to pray and lift up anyone in here today that does not know you. God, we beg you and we plead with you for the spirit of the living God to invade their heart, to save them, and for them to say yes to you right here, right now. Pray for those of us right now, God, that might be struggling with that. May we bear one another's burdens. May we know about that. May those that might be struggling, may they let us in so that we might be able to hold them up. Again, we thank you again for a great day. May you be honored, may you be glorified as we sing to you and about you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.